The Blood Flow Restriction Podcast is brought to you by Saga, a world leader in innovative BFR technology. For more information on our Bluetooth-enabled auto-calibrating BFR cuffs, head over to our website at saga.fitness. And if you'd like to pick up a set for yourself, you can save 20% with the discount code BFRPODCAST. Welcome back to the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast. Today's episode features Professor Mike Rosenthal. Mike is a board certified specialist in sports PT and a professor in the Division of Physical Therapy Education Division at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. He's a frequent educator on a variety of topics under the BFR umbrella, and we're fortunate to have him on the show today to discuss the application and safety of BFR training with youth athletes. Let's jump right into the discussion. Well, Mike, thanks for being here. I want to get right into this topic of BFR safety for youth athletes. So, and we're going to talk about safety specifically, but I think to sort of set the stage first, in order to even for that conversation to make sense, there needs to be a proposed benefit to BFR training for youth athletes. So before we start, could you kind of set the stage or, or like give us a use case for why BFR might be a modality that would even make sense for youth athletes, assuming we're talking about injured during the rehabilitation phase, um, for that, for them to implement that modality. Sure. Really the use for the youth athlete, as you mentioned, is we don't want to use it really as a performance enhancement process for the uninjured youth athlete, the youth athlete, if they are healthy and otherwise without any orthopedic musculoskeletal problems, they should be doing their traditional training, much like we would expect of an older athlete. But it's really for those individuals that have orthopedic injuries, especially uh, the times that I would recommend its use is when they're not able to regain their strength and they've lost both some strength and some muscle size. Uh, right now, there's not a lot in the literature to help guide us in that regard. Uh, but in large part, it's the same indications we would use for an adult uh, to consider using BFR. Are they able to lift heavy weights or higher weights, higher loads? Then if so, that's probably what they should be doing without BFR. But for a lot of our youth athletes, um, they're not ready for that. And many of them have never experienced lifting with heavy loads, depending on the sport they're they're, uh, regularly participating in. I think with a lot of youth athletes, as they have become more and more skilled at their sport, you can probably pick a couple of sports that incorporate a lot of weight training for youth athletes, but the majority of them, that's not part of their training. So, you know, American football, um, Outside of that, I don't know that there's a whole lot of sports that really have high school kids lifting weights at a level that's going to reproduce uh, the sensation that they're going to get with BFR. And so we're talking about, you know, I guess ACL is, is we'll probably get into the ACL topic because when we talk about adolescent youth sports, that's, you know, I think there's something like. 200,000 ACL injuries per year. And I would say youth probably make up a, a decent majority of that. Um, the, the issue being that the loss of strength during the rehabilitation process, um, we know that like 
I think it's something like 40%. I, I don't remember the exact stat, but like 40% of athletes end up re-injuring that ACL. Um, and I'm, sh- I'm sure that that's a multifactorial issue. Um, but could you, could you paint a picture a little bit of, of how BFR can, can assist? You, you touched on it a bit, but in that early stage rehabilitation process where, cause you've seen this in practice where potentially, you know, loading an athlete, like you said, they might not even be prepared to load heavy in general. They've never even done that pre-injury, but now they're post-injury, hardly moving, and they need to maintain as much muscle mass. What's the what's the impact that that could have the maintenance of muscle mass on preventing a re-injury rate moving forward? Yeah, most of these uh, young athletes, if they're having knee surgery, they they're probably coming into that early recovery period or into their surgery already having a fair amount of strength deficit and loss of muscle mass. So it's been shown in a few studies that have been done that it's very safe to apply this in the first couple of weeks after surgery. So that would be a a prime time to get started with a post-operative patient, even the the young patients, so long as there aren't any other contraindications to to using the blood flow restriction. And really, even though there's one very nice study that was published in uh, International Journal of Sports PT in 2022 by a group out of Connecticut Children's Hospital, they found that uh, in about, I think it was... uh, 30 or so patients that they tolerated uh, blood flow restriction very well following their ACL reconstruction. And they started it, uh, I think, around nine to 10 days after ACL reconstruction. My experience has been to improve their uh, compliance or willingness to keep doing BFR is rather than starting them right off at 80% limb occlusion pressure, I typically start them between 50 and 60% the first time or two. So they just have an idea of what this is going to feel like if they haven't previously experienced that uh, intense muscle tightness. Uh, and then I'll work them up usually within three or four sessions. They're pretty comfortable with 80% and don't perceive it as being too different than 60% limb occlusion. I was curious to ask you about that because in the paper we're, we're both referencing and I wrote it down so I don't don't miss it here. Uh, if you're listening, I'll I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but it is they talk about you know the, there's no serious adverse events, um, but there was something like three percent or so of patients that reported some tingling. A couple couple mm-hmm. patients reported like localized tingling and itching. Um, you know, mostly just probably presumably that they weren't used to training with BFR. Um, and as you mentioned, they started them right out at 80% occlusion. So I'm curious what you've had quite a bit of experience applying BFR to youth athletes. Like you mentioned you start around 40 to 50%. Can you walk us through like a, just a general, you see a patient, something like a week post-op. Um, what does that rehab journey look like kind of starting from their first session in on, onto the way out? Yeah, when I start with them in that first week, um, I'm just trying to get their quads activated, make sure they have kind of the foundational things going in the right direction as far as their swellings getting uh, coming down, their knee extension is good, their passive knee extension is good, and they can fire their quads. If they can't do those, I'm not going to throw 
uh, blood flow restriction on them to start getting them going. Um, but most of the athletes are doing fairly well in those three areas by between days 10 and 14. And so I typically will start VFR around that 14 day mark, even though some of the studies have shown uh, around the seven to 10 day mark. And I'll start them off just doing simple quad sets, very similar to what's in, in the article that you'll share with, with the listeners. Um, but I'll start them off with quad sets and have them do some very simple things. If they're cleared for weight bearing, they haven't had other procedures done besides the ACL reconstruction. I may have them do a little bit of weight bearing activities, usually just something as simple as uh, calf raises, uh, just so they can get comfortable with having it on while they're standing and uh, be confident that they can do that. So that's kind of where I'll start for the first couple of sessions and then progress them into a little more dynamic activity, open chain, knee extensions, for example, from 90 to 45 or thereabouts um, is usually one of the next steps in trying to emphasize getting their quadriceps going and start that process. Is this a, a multi-time, multi-session per week generally deal? Yeah, absolutely. Most of the literature will, on rehabilitation shows that you really need to do it a minimum of twice a week. And three times a week probably isn't greatly better than twice. And so doing four or five times a week also hasn't been proven to be better than two or three. So I want the patient to come in at least twice a week which is pretty typical of a standard post-operative rehab process or even conservative rehab for that matter. But if you're going to use it less than twice a week, it's probably not going to move the needle as well as if we can see them twice a week. And then I will also start off with those couple exercises I mentioned. Initially, I'm only going to have them do probably two exercises for the first uh, two to four sessions. After that fourth session, I'm going to bump them up to a third and eventually maybe a fourth exercise, but I'm probably never going to do more than three to four exercises with BFR with a patient. And this is, are you generally doing something like a 30, 15, 15, 15? In most cases, that's what I'll go with is that standard kind of set and rep scheme that you mentioned. Um, the only time... I will modify that a little bit is if I decide I really want this person to do more than four exercises with BFR um, and then to try to keep the total occlusion time closer to that uh, 20, between that 20 to 30 minute window, uh, then I may decrease their set and rep scheme a little bit so I can get more than four exercises, but that's not very common. And you're leaving the cuff inflated during the the bout and then will you deflate between exercises? Typically I do. I think that's an area that we certainly need more research. There's been some recent studies that have come out that have added to that uh, indication that maybe there's not a huge difference between leaving it inflated during the rest period versus deflating it. Maybe there's even a a case to let them exercise without the cuff inflated, then to inflate it during the rest period, and then have them exercise again with it deflated. So I think 
some of that utilization, as much research and work that has been done, there's still a lot of kind of unanswered questions. But most of the time, I will leave it inflated the whole period. The exceptions are, is if a patient's really not tolerating it real well, or they're kind of completely dropping off after the second or third set, then I will oftentimes inflate or deflate it a little bit. Uh, not necessarily all the way down, but at least deflate it uh, 50% or so to give them a little breather, if you will. And oftentimes they'll be willing to jump back in and get after it again. So those are the cases where I'll usually give them a little bit of a deflation period. And then the typical totally deflate it for at least one minute, sometimes up to two minutes in between exercises. Yeah, it would seem logic would seem to lead towards leaving it inflated. I'm curious to read anything around suggesting maybe there's benefit in deflating between sets. In general, I would I would think, you know, we're we're trying to max a metabolic stimulus, you know, I think the the cell swelling effect is probably pretty useful. Um the lactate accumulation is it would seem like we would kind of blunt some of those effects if we continually deflated is that yeah i agree with you i think maybe why we're seeing uh some examples in the rehab literature where that's maybe not as critical is we might be starting with a population that they're far enough kind of on the low spectrum as far as how much stimulus they need to get things moving in the positive direction, you might be able to get by with uh, that less stringent uh, physiologic drivers that you mentioned. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think too, it's like so many things to consider. Does the de deflating between exercises um, or, or even sets just allow them to, phys to psychologically produce more drive and you know the just that alone kind of allows them to train harder and you know that it, it's not even about the actual inflation or deflation it's just about the kind of psychological factor of them actually doing more sets because they feel like they can tolerate it more yeah absolutely i've seen with a number of the folks we've used this with that when they get to that third and fourth set they may tell you that they can't keep going and once i help them through the first couple of reps give them a little assistance, then they can go They're They just need a little something to kind of get that uh, activity or the motion they're doing jumpstart. And sometimes it's psychological, as you mentioned. What would your response be to, because we're, we're talking about uh, with youth athletes, a lot of them, they're, you said they're like pretty far on that other spectrum where they're not used to training at a very high intensity. Some of them don't have any resistance training at all. What would your response be to the pushback of, well, if that's the case, then, you know, why do we even need to apply BFR to these athletes? Why can't we just, you know, have them do the same movements that you were talking about? And that should be potentially enough to induce a, a muscle gain or at least muscle retention stimulus. Yeah, I think. Brief pause, if you're enjoying the BFR podcast and want to learn more about BFR training, we've put together a free BFR ebook for you. The Comprehensive Guide to BFR Training covers everything from basics of BFR physiology to benefits, protocols, research reviews, and more. You can find a link to download it in the show notes or directly on our site at saga.fitness. All right, let's get back to the show. 
we can get them back to where they were before their injury without BFR. But we have to keep in mind, that's where they were when they got injured. There's probably a missing part of that puzzle that that's part of the reason why they got injured, perhaps. Um, So we really need to improve our approach to trying to get them further along and make them more skilled, both in their movement patterns, uh, in many cases, to improve their biomechanics of whatever their activity is. But also, oftentimes, we have the skilled athlete that they're very good at their movement mechanics. But some of the foundational components of being good, such as having good strength and motor control, they're not really there other than in uh, the context of being skilled at that specific technique. But if we are able to take their strength to a higher level than what they were before, the thought is we're probably improving their uh, outcome rehab-wise and hopefully decreasing their chance of re-injury down the road. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What if so? So, if we're talking about safety, then if if you know, there's maybe a parent listening, um, or, or we're, we're talking about parents here who you know their child has just sustained an ACL injury or something similar. Um, we know, okay, BFR could potentially allow them to maintain or build strength during the rehabilitation phase and get them in a hopefully a better position um, at a lower load, lower intensity. That's phenomenal. Um, but we're restricting blood flow. There's, you know, there's some questions around safety. Um, you know, I think there's a, a ton of, of literature now around the safety of BFR, but like we talked about previ- previously over email, there's not a ton of literature around safety of BFR for youth athletes. Presumably like my first thought is, well, the, the thing that people would be most concerned about is some sort of cardiopulmonary or, you know, metabolic issue where in general, kids are youth are kind of like top tier in that condition in that um perspective um so do you have any do you know where this concern comes from um is there any any merit to any sort of concern we're talking broadly not specific use cases um where somebody's got a a cardiac condition or something like that yeah broadly it's just the thought of exercising with a tourniquet on your limb just does not sound like a rational thing to be doing, right? (laughs) Outside of those people in the exercise world for the most part. But more and more, uh, the non-exercise professional in the medical realm has some familiarity with this as a result of the the amount of literature that's been put out over the last 10 years or so. Um, So that's the key thing. And one of the first studies that that was done to kind of address that was mainly to address that concern of the development of blood clots from exercising with a tourniquet on. Um, And it showed in an adult population that uh, following various knee procedures that there was no increased risk of blood clots uh, in that population. There have been subsequent uh, studies to include the one you'll include, you'll Uh, share today that looked at that same thing. So it it certainly warrants continued monitoring and observation of any population to uh, make sure we're looking at what is the kind of spectrum of adverse events that could occur. But it doesn't appear to be any more likely to cause an adverse event than just high intensity exercise in general. 
uh, in the majority of patients. There is a very nice um, safety screening tool that I'll share with you that you can uh, share with listeners from the Australian Institute of Sport that goes through a, a, a very thorough list of things to keep that we should keep in mind. And some of those are very infrequent uh, medical conditions, but especially in the case of a youth uh, athlete patient, uh, it's something that they may not be aware of, but perhaps their parents may know of it. So it's always good to go through that checklist with, with those individuals. So broadly, there's no unique physiological reason or you know mechanism by which we should be concerned about BFR for children versus adults. Um, as far as direct literature, can you walk us through, we kind of referenced some, some uh, literature out of Connecticut. Is that specifically what, what you're referencing that you would want to get into? Yeah. So they, they were looking at, um, they kind of listed the adverse effects in two categories. They listed major side effects, which in their um, study they defined as DVT or, or uh, subcutaneous hemorrhage. And then they had minor side effects, uh, which were uh, itching, um, tingling in the limb, dizziness. Those were the, the things they looked at for minor side effects. And while they had about 10% of individuals report minor side effects, they had nobody uh, indicate uh, one of the major side effects. And again, this was on a post-operative group of about 30 individuals. There was something like 500 sessions o- across that study, right? That's right. Yeah, those individuals were coming in for uh, twice a week therapy and using the BFR for about 12 weeks. And so, yeah, those uh, 39 or so individuals had a cumulative total of about 535 BFR sessions. And this was, for the audience, I think it was like age 12 to 18 range. These were all adolescents, correct? No adults in the study. That's correct. Yeah, average age was... Uh, close to 15 years old. Um, and those minor side effects uh, all resolved very quickly after the, the uh, cuff was was discontinued or upon completion of the exercise session. So uh, sometimes we think of paresthesias and we get concerned, of course, about uh, some neurologic compromise. But again, their study showed that that was very brief duration and I've experienced the same thing with many of the individuals I've used on. Typically, within moments of releasing the cuff pressure, their their sensation is back to normal. So we have we've got that one study out of Connecticut, something like thirty patients, maybe five hundred BFR sessions, no adverse, um, nothing adverse to report. What is there any other literature specifically directed at, at youth athletes and safety? So far, that is the only one I'm aware of that's been published that is specifically looking at just the adolescent population. There's a few other studies uh, typically involving um, post-op ACL patients or a study that was about four or five years old now uh, that looked at patients just with patellofemoral pain. And they include some people on the upper end of that pediatric population and the 17 to 19 year old age range in their overall population. Um, but nothing that's looked at a large group of pediatric 
individuals yet. Again, there's some additional ongoing studies done uh, being done. I believe uh, Dr. Brian Noren out of uh, University of Kentucky, he has a group looking at this in a uh, patient population following patellar or with patellar instability. And I'm not sure of the age range. I suspect that's going to include uh, some younger individuals within that population. I think the, the group out of Connecticut we've referenced, I believe they'll be publishing some more work on their study is the one that we've that's been published is more of a pilot study and was kind of some of their early work. So be on the lookout for that for uh, more pediatric related research. Interesting. I think you've I, done a really good job breaking this down, brought a clarity to, to me. I think the listeners, it'll be useful. Um, last question I would have is something around, it's a bit, bit of like a question around anecdote, but you've been doing this for a while. You've probably, you've gone, you've taken a lot of athletes through the rehab process. Have you made any observations? Again, I understand this is completely anecdotal, but just observations around, you know, athletes that applied BFR in the, in the rehab process and athletes that didn't, um, do you, are you in a position where you kind of feel like you have a good feel for the impact that BFR may have? Yeah, I think so. I have, I'll say I have had maybe only one case where I had an individual that it was not well tolerated and had to just discontinue and not continue with rehab involving BFR. Um, but the vast majority of patients, and I would say I've used it kind of a 50-50 mix as far as half of them are post-op patients and the others are conservative management. Um, and they have all tolerated it very well. And frequently I'll get uh, feedback such as, I haven't felt my muscles work like this since before I had my knee injury. I did years of rehab. Uh, frequently I'll use this and I'll be consulted for patients that are facing uh, revision, uh, repeat surgeries or kind of failed rehabilitation, so to speak. And I have the benefit of knowing what things they've been doing for a period of time that hasn't worked. Uh, and oftentimes they haven't tried BFR. And when we put, put the cuff on, uh, the vast majority are, besides the discomfort they experience, once they get a little bit of a breather, they are ecstatic that they can feel like their leg is working similar to what they haven't experienced sometimes for three, four years in, in some cases. So um, I think it's a great tool. I, I tell these athletes that I like to think of BFR as kind of the bridge to get them from where they're at over the, over the trouble spot and get them back on the road to the things that they used to be doing. Um, so th that way they realize that this is not a long-term thing. They don't need to be uh, thinking they need to do BFR the rest of their uh, athletic career, but it's going to get them back on track. Um, and in some cases, maybe they will need to, will benefit from using it intermittently, um, to balance out their other training. But for most of them, it's really a bridge to be able to get them to feel that, uh, demand on their limb that they haven't been able to produce with traditional rehab. One other patient population that I, I, uh, failed to bring up that 
besides that post-operative lower extremity population that I really have found this to be beneficial for is in the young athlete with anterior knee pain, usually referred to as patellofemoral pain. Those individuals oftentimes have such difficulty in doing activities to get their quads stronger. Uh, we know when we put the cuff on, it modulates pain a little bit. And I've seen a lot of individuals go within one to two sessions of using the cuff from being not even able to just do a unweighted leg extension with the weight of their leg to now being able to do it with some uh, reasonable amount of force and see really significant improvements in their tolerance to do exercise, both open chain activities as well as weight bearing activities such as going up and down steps, doing lunges, split squats, stuff like that. Again, things that are oftentimes very difficult to get that population with patellofemoral pain kind of back on track. Uh, I found BFR to be very helpful, uh, especially in that kind of problematic uh, category of diagnostic conditions. Do you find that the pain mitigation to be specifically during the session or is there some carryover effect? Yeah, I've looked at that in a, in a couple of research studies I've been a part of and uh, other folks have reported in the research, it looks like that carryover effect lasts less than 10 to 15 minutes. So sometimes I will use it specifically for that and I found it to be effective to put it on have them do one or two exercises with the cuff on and then transition them to what usually is a painful activity. And I found them to be very comfortable in, in being able to do usually at least one or two other exercises without the cuff and still have some of that uh, carryover effect of decreased pain. Awesome. Very interesting. That's probably a whole episode in itself, the, the, the pain concept is really interesting yeah absolutely that you could really take that in all kinds of directions for the athletic population uh, with a variety of uh, upper or lower extremity conditions makes perfect sense so this has been awesome mike um, i appreciate you giving me the opportunity to leverage your expertise a little bit i'm sure the audience is going to appreciate it as well thank you for the invitation i look forward to continuing following the podcast and appreciate you uh, putting out more and more information. I think it's a, a great tool that a lot of patients uh, will continue to benefit from. That's what we're here for. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Steve.